Thank you, John. Good morning to everybody. Great to be together today. What a beautiful day outside, but uh, you know, even when it's raining or snowing or freezing or super hot, it's still a beautiful day in here as we come together to worship God. If you're visiting with us today, if you have any question about anything you see us do or hear us teach, please ask us because we keep saying we just want to be the church we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And so we just want to fit that model and be that church. Last Sunday morning, I began a series of lessons focusing on the devil's worst day. I made the point that, that a lot of times people, they're afraid of the devil. You know, oh, boy, I don't want the devil in my life. I don't want the devil to take me over. The devil cannot take us over. He cannot take over our thoughts. He cannot make us sin against our will. And so, again, a lot of people, I think, they, they have in their mind, well, he is a powerful dude, that old devil. And he does have power. He does have ability. He does have influence. But only influence upon us if we open our hearts to that influence. And something that I want to get across in this particular series of lessons is, He's had a whole lot of bad days, a lot of bad days. In fact, some really bad days. Now, last week we talked about how the devil had a really bad day when he was kicked out of heaven. When you go back to Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, it talks about how he seemed to have desired to usurp God's throne and lead a rebellion against God. And so he drew some following through some of the angels and there was war in heaven and he lost and was cast out and all those angels have followed him with him. And so he lost. That was up to this point in time, I would say that was his very worst day. And we'll read through that text briefly, but only in leading us up to what we want to talk about today as his second worst day from our historical perspective. 1 Peter chapter, one verses, or chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, the apostle Peter wrote this about the devil. We need to take it to heart for sure because he says, be sober, be vigilant. Now those are two straight instructions or exhortations. You need to be aware. You need to be on guard. You need to be alert because your adversary or your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, if we walked out of our front door tomorrow morning and we saw a wild lion roaming the streets or the sidewalk in front of us, what would we do? We'd go back inside the house, wouldn't we? We'd get on the phone, we'd start calling the authorities and say, yeah, you got to send somebody, there's a wild lion, wild lion roaming the street in front of our house here. You know you don't want to just walk down the street, maybe reach out and pet that lion, you'd be dead because he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's a wild beast. Well, Peter portrays him like that, but the prey the devil is seeking is you and me. And zeroing it in more, it's our souls. It's our soul's eternal destruction. That's what he's after. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in just a moment. So we need to be careful. We need to be on guard. The apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter four and verse 27, nor give place to the devil or another way of putting it, don't give the devil any place in your life. 
Don't give him any room in your life. So we need to understand that. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. The apostle Paul, he said, and this is at the beginning of that list of all of the implements of the spiritual armor that God has provided for us, such as the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the helmet of salvation, the gospel of peace, and so on. But he prefaces that by saying, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? that you may be able to stand, and the sense being that you may be able to stand effectively and even victoriously against the wiles or schemings or all of the ways of the devil. We need to be alert. The devil's out there after us all the time. Again, he cannot overwhelm us against our will, but he is always trying to influence us to turn, turn to away from God and into sin and thereby lead us to our eternal condemnation. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, John, and God, of course, is, is, this is his word. John is simply the penman writing it down, but he assures us, encourages us. In 1 John 4 and verse 4, because he who is in you, if you're a Christian, God is in you, Christ is in you. John chapter 14, verses 20, verse 23 and 24. But also... He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We're baptized into Christ, Romans 6 and verse 3, Galatians 3, 27. And again, as we come to God through Christ in that way, in surrender to our Lord and Savior, the blood that is shed on the cross cleanses us of the guilt of our sins, and we're reborn spiritually. We're made new spiritually. We become a new creation spiritually, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. And... Then John, what Jesus says, John writing it down in John 14, 23 and 24, the father and the son come and make their home within us. Now how that happens, that's, you know, we can get to heaven and ask God. But it tells us, that gives us that assurance. So 1 John 4 and verse 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The devil is no match for God. Now, but the devil, he is powerful. He is influential, and he is determined. He is our adversary, our enemy. But the devil has had many really bad days. And so I want this particular series to encourage us along that line. Don't think the devil is all-powerful. He's not. He's limited by the boundaries that God sets for him as to how he can do his work and how far he can go and so on. Read Job, read Job uh, chapters 1 and 2 to see that. The devil is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. And he was cast out of heaven in a failed attempt, a failed rebellion against God. So we read in, in, in Revelation chapter 12 in just a moment, but in Eden, and this was the devil's second really bad day. In the Garden of Eden, Satan might have thought that he'd had his revenge on God, that he'd taken his revenge against God, that he was getting back at God. Because you see, the only way that he can hurt God now is by leading us, souls created in God's image, to sin and thereby Turn away from God. It's the only way you can hurt God now. So let's, let's think about that. Instead, 
of, God, of the devil winning back before humanity in heaven, instead of the devil finally thinking, I did it, I beat God, I got back at him, I took my revenge, I've, I've foiled his attempts to create this human race in his own image, I've led them into sin, it turned out to be another really bad day for the devil. When we look at Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 7, the text reads, war broke out in heaven. Now, I believe this was before God ever created man. So we're looking at prehistory here from a human perspective. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them any, any longer in heaven. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old, and that's, I think, imagery of going back to what he, how, he, how he appeared, the form he took in Eden to tempt Eve into sinning, turning against God, or turning away from God in, in disobedience. So they did not prevail. So that great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. You think about there's actually five different descriptions that John, or that John as he's writing this particular text of scripture uses to refer to the devil. He says he calls him that, that dragon. He says also he was uh, referred to as uh, that serpent of old, the devil, Satan, and the one who deceives the whole world. So he is here to be completely counter to all of God's influence upon humanity. God wants us to be with him for all of eternity in heaven. He wants us to have eternal life with him. He wants us to be saved through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The devil wants us to lead us in exactly the opposite direction, down the road to eternal condemnation in hell. And just as heaven is a real place, so is hell a real place. Just as God is real, so is the devil real. But again, we can be encouraged. The devil has already had a whole lot of bad days, and he's got a lot of bad days, well, a lot of bad days against him from a particular perspective ahead of him. So that's where he was. He was cast to earth. Now, in verse 12, we skip a few verses there. Go down to verse 12 in Revelation chapter 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, and the sea for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Now, as I said, the only way the devil can hurt God now is to lead us created in God's image into sin and thereby into disobedience to God. And so since Isaiah writes in Isaiah 59 and verse two that sin separates us from God, then if the devil can lead us into a lifestyle of sin, then he's pulling us away from God. That's the only way he can hurt God. He can't overpower God because God is all powerful, but not the devil. So that reality, the devil realizes, I, all I can do now, I, I lost that war in heaven. All I can do now is these human beings whom God created with a soul 
in his own image, with a spiritual being within their physical bodies. I, I, if I can pull them into sin, I can defeat God or I can hurt God by leading those he created in that very unique and special way away from him. I can lead them into disobedience to him. I can turn them against him. And that's the best he can do. Now notice that last part there, having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. The devil's angry. He knows he's got a limited time. God's already said, your time is, is, is limited. There's going to be an end to it as to the influence that you can wield over humanity. And so he is determined to do all that he can to hurt God by leading us away from God. And when you think about how things are going in the world right now, he's been doing a pretty good job, hasn't he? Been doing a pretty good job. But again, that's up to us as to whether we will go along with him or, or not. This is where the devil does his work. This is his workshop on this earth. This is his playground. This is his realm of influence. When God created the first two human beings, he created them in his image. He placed them in a place, we call it the Garden of Eden, wherein he, he had already put all of the resources that mankind would need to sustain their physical lives. And from the text that we read in chapter 3, it, it seems like his plan was that man could live there forever. And God would bless them through all of those resources. Beginning with verse 15 of chapter 2 in Genesis, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now that's the only negative instruction that we have recorded in Scripture as God created man and placed him in that garden and began his physical life upon this earth. That's the only negative instruction we have recorded in Scripture. God simply said, this one tree, you don't touch it. You don't eat the fruit of that tree. If you do, you're going to die. Now, all of the other resources of the garden was open to them and free to them. But, of course, the man and mankind was supposed to tend and keep the garden. So scripture records only that one negative instruction from God or warning or prohibition. When we turn to chapter three, beginning with verse one, we read, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now remember what I said in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, one of the descriptions of the devil, by way of identifying him as the devil, was that serpent of old. And so, as God created that first man and woman and placed them in that garden, now remember where the devil does his work. Remember, God cast him out of heaven and all those angels who followed him in that rebellion and cast them down to the earth. So this is where he works. So God created the man and the woman, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, in God's image with a soul unique from all the rest of creation that he had created. And it seems in chapter 3, almost immediately the devil shows up on the scene. 
And he doesn't come around any of us and, and identify himself. As I've said many times, he doesn't wear a sign around his neck saying, hey, I'm the devil, I'm the Satan, I'm that dragon, I'm that serpent of old. No, he's subtle. He's subtle. He wants to try to pull us in by making sin look righteous, by making good look bad and bad look good. And so he shows up on the scene and he begins to work on the woman through lies and deceptions. He tries to get into her trust. So he was more cunning than any beast of the field which God had made in the form of that serpent. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of the tree of, uh, of, of, the, of every tree of the garden? And the woman responded accurately. She said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, referring to that one tree, that one line of fruit that God back in chap chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17 said, you stay away from that one, don't touch that one. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Well, the devil, he wasn't going to let her simply tell him that and then walk away. So the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Lie. Direct lie. But then he deceives her with, some, with a line of deception that begins to make her wonder about the lie. Now, God had said, you don't eat the fruit of this tree. She understood that. She accepted that until the devil lied to her and then started to deceive her. So, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, until this point in time, that first man, that woman did not know evil. They did not know sin. But now the devil is luring them into disobeying God and thereby into sin. And so what does the devil do by way of deception? You're going to be like God. Now, can you imagine going through her mind? I'm going to be like God. Wow. And so she thought again about that prohibition against eating that particular fruit. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food in her physical eyes perception, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise, that was the deception of the devil. She took of its fruit and ate. And then the devil used her to lure her husband into the same sin. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. The devil was skillful. Now she gave in. Her, her husband gave in. The devil did not make them disobey God. He simply used first a lie and then deception, and it worked on them. They surrendered. Instead of stepping back and saying, wait a minute, old devil. I hear what you're saying, but I know what God said. But they let down their guard, and they gave in to the lie and the deception. Well, let's read a little bit further. Beginning with verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Now, they'd always been naked. But there was no shame because they, did have not, they had not any con concept in their mind. No awareness of evil or sin or shamefulness. 
because they were pure, they were innocent. But now everything changed. When they ate the fruit of that particular tree that God had said, you stay away from that. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, God creates us with free will. He doesn't make us obey him. He lays out all of the standards. He lays out all of the warnings and he talks about the rewards and the punishment depending on which we choose, but he does not make us obey him. But he does say, I'm God, I'm the creator. I am all goodness and if you disobey me, you're entering into sin and that's gonna lead to your destruction if you don't repent of it. So now everything changed. They had a whole different perspective. Did they know right from wrong? Did they know good and evil as the, as the devil said, you're gonna be like God, you're gonna know good and evil? Yeah, because now they recognized evil in their own lives. And so they were ashamed of their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now that might indicate that they actually had a personal, maybe face-to-face -face relationship with God in those early days of their physical lives in the garden. They, they understood God was in the garden. But now, again, they did not have that pure mindset they were sinners. And so they heard him walking among the trees of the garden and they hid themselves. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called out to Adam and said to him, where are you? Of course the Lord knew. He knew exactly what had happened. So he said, I heard the vo your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Well, God's response, beginning with verse 11, he said, who told you you were naked? Now, God could have said, you've always been naked. So, there was no shame. You had no devious mindset about being naked. You were innocent. Your thoughts were pure. Who told you you were naked? And then God probes, have you eaten from the tree of, the com that of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Well, God already knew they had, but he's dealing with, with them now on a human level. Have you disobeyed me? Have you eaten the fruit of that tree that I told you to stay away from? And now the man and the woman started playing the blame game, which unfortunately a whole lot of people do to this very day about their sin, about their unrighteousness, about their bad choices. And so when God asked them, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Well, the woman was not gonna be outdone. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, they did not take responsibility on themselves. The man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent. And of course, that was simply the devil taking the form of the serpent. Played the blame game. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 again, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That was God's warning to them. And when they sinned, when they disobeyed God, when they ate of that fruit, they became sinners. 
And everything changed for them. Everything changed. In fact, you might think of the world changed from one perspective, a great perspective. Reality changed because now sin had entered into the conscience of mankind. How sad, how sad that that had to happen. But what did God warn them? In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So they disobeyed God. They ate that, fr that fruit of that tree, and now they were sinners. And that meant spiritual and physical death. Spiritual death, separation from God because of their sin. Physical death because they were going to die physically. God was going to remove them from any, any more access to the tree of life. Another pivotal tree in the garden. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, therefore just as through one man sin entered the, the world and death through sin, that would be Adam, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And then Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But the other side of the spectrum that God still offers us, but eternal life, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do we die physically? Because of sin. Sin within the conscience of mankind, sin within the reality of existence in this world. The worst death is spiritual. Again, Isaiah 59 and verse 2, separation from God. Well, think about the old devil. Think about what must have been going through his mind. I did it. He kicked me out of heaven, but boy, I got back at him. He created these new beings in his own image with a soul, and I took them down. Revenge against God. Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. God pronounced judgment upon the man and the woman, upon humanity. He said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for your sake. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles, thorns and thistles, your work is going to be less than 100% efficient. Problems are going to arise, even though you may put in a hard day's labor, a whole season of hard labor. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Physical death. Physical death. We begin with verse 22. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest, now that's, that's not God being jealous over man. That's God simply saying, they did exactly what I warned them against. They're sinners now. And then he said, now lest they put his hand out and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, as long as they would continue to eat the fruit of the tree of life, they would be able to live forever in a physical basis on this earth. 
And therefore, the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east, at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The Garden of Eden was still there, but no man, no woman, no human being could enter that garden ever from that day forward. God had created man with the opportunity to live forever. Sinless, pure. And, God diso- and man disobeyed God and became a sinner. And so access to that tree of life on this earth, God shut that down. Man was going to have to deal with his sin. And again, at that point, can you imagine the devil jumping up and down in glee? I beat him, I beat him, I beat him. I turned that humanity against him. I led them into sin. They're not going to live forever. They're going to die. Except for one thing. Devil might have thought he had his revenge. But in the midst of all of that, God prophesied a way for man to be forgiven, a way for man to be redeemed for the guilt of his sin and brought back into a right relationship with God, their creator, their heavenly father, a way for man to access the tree of life in heaven and be there for all of eternity. So in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, God told the serpent, God told the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. When Christ came, the devil certainly worked on those who should have been most ready for him to come, the Jewish leadership, the Jewish people, and and by and large turned them against Jesus. So he in a sense, was bruising the heel. And how he must have jumped up and down when they had him nailed to that cross and he died physically. But Jesus arose. And he's coming back ultimately in the final day of judgment to deal the final death blow and crush the head of the devil. Ah. Devil must have thought, I won, I won, I won. But God said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to let you win. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved. We shall be saved from wrath through him. If when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Verse 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin, physical death, spiritual death, But, verse 15, the gift, 
The free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Abounded to many. And verses 19, 17 through 19. If by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of the grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, Jesus dying on that cross. The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Many will be made righteous. And verse 21, so that as sin reigned to de in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. By God's grace, by God's grace, he made the way for us to be reconciled, brought back into a right relationship with him, forgiven of our sins, redeemed, saved, and have access to that tree of life in heaven, an eternal home with him. Praise God, he did not let the devil win. Can you imagine the devil's celebration during that time when he saw that woman take that fruit from that tree and bite into it and then tell her husband, look at here, it's good. And he took it and bit into it. And the devil, in glee, thinking he won. He won. But God stepped in by grace. He sent Jesus into this world as the Savior to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews 2 and verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to bear the sins of many. And to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Hebrews 10 and verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God stepped in. And in the face of the devil, maybe in his mind, jumping up and down, I won, I won, I beat him. God said, uh-uh, you lost, buddy. I'm sending my son to pay the price for the guilt of all their sins. And the guilt of all the sins that you might lead mankind into from this time forward. I'm sending my son. The devil ended up having another very bad day. Now, you can hand him another bad day yourself, personally, by coming to God through Jesus today. 
repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Jesus as God's Son and your Lord and Savior, and being baptized for the remission of your sins. You can deal the devil personally another really bad day. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Are you ready to beat the devil today? Deal him another bad day. We'd like to help. If you need to talk, if you need to pray, if you need to study, just ask us. But if you're ready, then take that step today as we stand and sing.